Chapter Eleven of the Touchstone. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The Touchstone by Edith Wharton. Chapter Eleven. As Glenard, in the raw February sunlight, mounted the road to the cemetery, he felt the beatitude that comes with an abrupt cessation of physical pain. He had reached the point where self-analysis ceases. The impulse that moved him was purely intuitive. He did not even seek a reason for it, beyond the obvious one that his desire to stand by Margaret Aubyn's grave was prompted by no attempt at a sentimental reparation, but rather by the vague need to affirm in some way the reality of the tie between them. The ironical promiscuity of death had brought Mrs. Aubyn back to share the narrow hospitality of her husband's last lodging. But though Glenard knew she had been buried near New York, he had never visited her grave. He was oppressed, as he now threaded the long avenues, by a chilling vision of her return. There was no family to follow her hearse. She had died alone, as she had lived, and the distinguished mourners who had formed the escort of the famous writer knew nothing of the woman they were committing to the grave. Glenard could not even remember at what season she had been buried but his mood indulged the fancy that it must have been on some such day of harsh sunlight, the incisive February brightness that gives perspicuity without warmth. The white avenue stretched before him interminably, lined with stereotyped emblems of affliction, as though all the platitudes ever uttered had been turned to marble and set up over the unresisting dead. Here and there, no doubt, a frigid urn or an insipid angel imprisoned some fine-fibred grief, as the most hackneyed words may become the vehicle of rare meanings. But for the most part the endless alignment of monuments seemed to embody those easy generalizations about death that do not disturb the repose of the living. Glenard's eye, as he followed the way indicated to him, had instinctively sought some low mound with a quiet headstone. He had forgotten that the dead seldom plan their own houses, and with a pang he discovered the name he sought on the cyclopean base of a granite shaft, rearing its aggressive height at the angle of two avenues. "'How she would have hated it!' he murmured. A bench stood near, and he seated himself. The monument rose before him like some pretentious uninhabited dwelling. He could not believe that Margaret Aubyn lay there. It was a Sunday morning, and black figures moved among the paths, placing flowers on the frost-bound hillocks. Glenard noticed that the neighbouring graves had been thus newly dressed, and he fancied a blind stir of expectancy through the sod, as though the bare mounds spread a parched surface to that commemorative rain. He rose presently and walked back to the entrance of the cemetery. Several greenhouses stood near the gates, and turning in at the first he asked for some flowers. "'Anything in the emblematic line?' asked the anemic man behind the dripping counter. Glenard shook his head. "'Just cut flowers. This way, then.' The florist unlocked a glass door and led him down a moist green aisle. The hot air was choked with the scent of white azaleas, white lilies, white lilacs. All the flowers were white. They were like a prolongation, a mystical efflorescence of the long rows of marble tombstones, and their perfume seemed to cover an odour of decay. The rich atmosphere made Glenard dizzy. As he leaned in the doorpost waiting for the flowers, he had a penetrating sense of Margaret Aubyn's nearness, not the imponderable presence of his inner vision, 
but a life that beat warm in his arms. The sharp air caught him as he stepped out into it again. He walked back and scattered the flowers over the grave. The edges of the white petals shriveled like burnt paper in the cold, and as he watched them the illusion of her nearness faded, shrank back frozen. End of chapter 11